This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Cat Armis, welcome to Viral Jesus. And I think that's my favorite thing about Jesus is that Jesus, you know, was so incredibly human, right? We love to say, well, he was God. Yes, he was God. I'm not questioning that. But he was also very, very human. And again, going back to the story of Lazarus, he just sat there and he cried. Why? Because that was the most honest, the most vulnerable, the most human response, the realist response that you can have to death, to the reality of death. To Lazarus's death. You know, there wasn't a platitude, there wasn't looking for a silver lining, there wasn't, and no, it was just, you know, death is terrible and it's hard, and I'm gonna sit here and feel this with you. From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus, a show about communication and the power of social connections, where we talk to some of the most influential Christian content creators to find out how they've made their faith go viral. Everyone I talk to on this show is someone I follow or was told to follow online. Most of the conversations you'll hear are with people I have never met in person, yet they impacted how I think. What does it look like for Christians to enter the chat thoughtfully? Let's grow together on Viral Jesus. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. Hello, friend. I am appealing to all my theology nerds today. We are going in. We are going in with Kat Armas. I love Kat. She always says things that I find myself thinking about for months and months after my conversations with her. But first, if you remember, for the month of January, I'm talking to celebrity chef Danielle Cardis and asking her to help us make dinner. We had some problems with the formatting of the recipe. So this week, I am going to ask Danielle to link the recipe to her IG story. So make sure you go to her IG story and grab it there. I just want to set up my conversation with Danielle today that you're going to hear because Danielle is someone I meet with monthly to just have an honest space with someone who is in my same field and passionate about similar things as me, where we can encourage one another or be a resource to one another. By the way, I, I've said this so many times on this podcast, but I'm just going to say it again. You have to be doing ministry and service and life and content creation with other people. You have to have a team. And that team does not have to be paid. You can have people that you just check in with, even if it's only once a month. But in one of my conversations with Danielle that we had about just how hard it can be being a woman, being in ministry, not feeling super connected, Danielle said something to me that just clicked. And so I asked her if she'd come on the podcast and share it with you. So we will also make food, but if you are struggling, if you're feeling frustrated, if you're feeling overwhelmed with where your ministry is at or your content creation is at or how you're supposed to serve right now, I want you to just take a deep breath, take a deep breath and come join me and my friend, Danielle Cardis in the kitchen. 
for the month of January because I was cooking so much over my Christmas break. I wanted to make some recipes with you, my friend. And so I went to the top of my list, the very top. This is, you're getting A plus service today. It's Danielle Cardis. She's a comedian. She's a chef. She's a speaker and author. Her latest cookbook is Butter, Flour, Sugar, Joy. I'll have it linked in the show notes. You may also recognize her from the Kelly Clarkson show where she does recipes with Kelly. So we are basically the same as Kelly right now. Danielle, something that people write into me a lot, and I'm sure people ask you this too when you go out, is how do I start? I think in some ways we're all like as women, we're like waiting for permission for somebody to let us have a ministry, for someone to give us a seat at the table. You said the other day, you're like, sometimes it feels like you're waiting for somebody with a golden scepter to point it towards you and say, here, it's you, come. I totally relate to that. (laughs) What would you say to somebody? Oh my gosh. I would say, number one, I get it. I love, I love it when somebody's like, not just giving you advice, but they're like, I totally get it. I understand how that feels. I understand being like, oh my gosh, I don't know all the pastors in the world. I, I know God has put this on my heart, but this is the cool thing. Um, when we were first, my husband and I were first getting into photography and, and, and food styling and all these things, a friend of ours, Jeff was our mentor. And he was like, listen, you're going to have an audience. This is before Instagram was crazy. This is before Facebook and social media. This is literally on the cusp of it. He's like, you're always going to have an audience. If you I'm going to reach people that Heather can't reach. Heather's going to reach yeah. people that I will never reach. People, I'm going to resonate with people. And then I'm also going to really irritate people. <laughs> like You just have to roll with it. And I used to ask God all the time. I'm like, how Lord am I ever supposed to tell anybody about hope and then teach them how to make pot roast? And God just said, <laughs> you just do it. You just do it. Mm. And at the time, there was no faith-based, this is how you cook, love your life today, and the wobbly body that you're in. I mean, it wasn't existing. And now Mm. we've got so many different resources on social media and all these platforms. But I'm like, I just remember... I don't have everything like everybody else does. I don't have the money. My marriage was failing. I mean, you name it. It was like everything was this up in smoke almost. And you and I were talking the other day um, about, you know, having opportunities and knowing people and, and having people starting businesses and maybe they have family backing or maybe they just know all the people. Mm, yeah. And I said, I, I remember my dad putting himself through night school, getting a job at a private Christian school. I switch over from public school world. I'm a sophomore, junior in high school. And I remember sitting down at the lunch table with this group of girls and this girl pulls out this sandwich and I had never seen a sandwich like this. Now I'm a chef for a living. Uh, I'd never seen turkey, Havarti, sprouts. There's different types of lettuce besides iceberg. I'm like, what is this? And that was... and. Did you ask her for a bite? Did you ask her for a bite? You know what? In my mind, I've made up that she gave me half. I can't even, I can't even, (laughs) in my mind, she gave me half her sandwich. I don't think she did. And you're like, I'm going to be a chef now. Move over, Kelly. I'm I'm like, I now know what sprouts are. (laughs) And my parents were doing the best that they could. And I remember just always being a little off or awkward. But then guess what? That narrative is everyone's narrative. Everyone's like, I didn't quite fit in growing up. I don't think anybody did. Even the bullies. Right. Even people right. with 45 friends. I really feel like that's a react. And now I'm a therapist too, I guess. Uh, not really. That's a disclaimer. Uh, I really think maybe those, those people didn't fit in either. We all feel that way. And that's the enemy's device. If he can get us thinking that we're less than, we don't have friends, we don't have the connections, we don't have anything, we're going to stay stuck in our little world and we're just going to put one tiny foot in front of the other and we're always going to wish and want for more. 
God has called us for so much more. And before I get into the recipe really quickly, I was listening to Jackie Hill Perry the other day. And forgive me because I don't know the name of the woman she was interviewing, but she had a similar question for women who desire to be in ministry. And the woman said, listen, we're all waiting for that person at the top to notice us, someone in our church, someone that we follow. We want that connection to the person that's preaching to thousands and we want them to usher us in. And she goes, what if you're meant to minister to the women in your circle? Maybe you don't Mm -hmm. have a circle. Maybe you just start an Instagram platform and you make a pot of rice and then you tell people you can make it today. And if you have three people following you and one person sees that little post that says, you got it today, lean into Jesus. Don't lean into the people that you think can do stuff for you. Just do it and make Mm -hmm. some chicken piccata. Just, I mean, here I am talking so fast and Chicken piccata is really the end all be all. This is the this is the dish that's gonna launch. I you. feel ready now for the chicken piccata though, because you've stirred yeah. my you fed my soul. Now feed our stomachs. Danielle, what are we making in the kitchen tonight? I love it. Chicken piccata, which is basically just a lemony, capery, delicious chicken breast. We're not dredging with flour. It's 2024. Most of us can't eat gluten. I mean, I can't. Sometimes <laughs> I wish I had intolerance. Sometimes I wish for food intolerance from the Lord. <laughs> so I would stop eating gluten. <laughs> But we're not dredging it in flour. We're pounding the heck out of the chicken. We are searing it on both sides. We're adding lemon juice, white wine, capers, onions, mounting that sauce with butter. And then we're putting it over any kind of pasta. If you want to feel fancy, do some prepackaged ravioli, fettuccine. Eat it plain. If you're still, I mean, if we're driving the gluten thing home, pick some Banza pasta, not sponsored, but do what you got to do. And the recipe will be linked. And you do not need permission. The golden scepter ultimately comes from Jesus. Mm, Amen. Danielle Cardis, she is my friend in the kitchen. And I hope you will join us as you make her recipe tonight. I love Danielle so much, so much. You know who else I love? Kat Armas. Kat Armas is a Cuban-American writer and podcaster from Miami, Florida. She holds a dual MDiv and Master's of Theology from Fuller Theological Seminary. She also has a theology master's from Vanderbilt Divinity School. Her first book was called Abuelita Faith, and her second book is called Sacred Belonging, a 40-day devotional on the liberating heart of scripture. And it's available right now. Here is my conversation with the one and only Kat Armas. So I like to open up these conversations by doing some digging and seeing what I can find from the person online. For you, Kat, I went to your Instagram and here is a quote that I found that I thought was really beautiful. You say this, I wonder if perhaps so many of us have become wary of the Bible because we've been told to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength while simultaneously being expected to disengage from these same things while reading it. Kat, first of all, (laughs) this is why I wanted you back on the podcast because you are a writer's writer. You have, and I say it to your face, you have a gift (laughs) 
You are a fantastic writer. Talk to me about that excerpt and what you mean when you say disengage from those same things. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much for that um, just encouraging feedback. You know, I always say I'm a theologian first and a writer second. Mm. And so I feel, yeah, I feel like I'm a little bit more insecure with my writing. I feel like I can, you know, theologize and I can think all the things. Let me just make sure that I can, you know, um, write them well. And so thank you for that feedback. But yeah, you know, that I wrote that because it's something that I think about all the time, particularly as a theologian. And I started thinking about this in seminary. And I do refer to this in Sacred Belonging at the end in the feminine section and how so much of my time in seminary, and and I would say even without meaning to, right? Many of the professors did this without meaning to. Many pastors, I would say, even uh, might do this without you know, quote unquote, meaning to. But it's this idea that, you know, we're supposed to read through so many troubling passages and so many troubling Mm. stories in scripture. I mean, so much of the Bible is very troubling, right? I mean, you have rape and incest and so many things um, that should cause us to feel uncomfortable. Um, But in many ways, you know, we're taught to sort of zip past these troubling stories and and with this sort of attitude of well you know god is good and we may not understand it but it's okay let's move on and i think that that is a way of disengaging our heart mind and soul when it comes to reading scripture because we should be troubled when we read about rape or we should be troubled when we read about death and when we read about war and when we read about children dying because you you read that in the bible right and it should cause us to stop and to question and to wonder and to even say, you know, and I write about this in, in, in my last book, but say, I don't like that. <laughs> you know, I don't mm. like God. I feel uncomfortable when I read this. And I think that, you know, in so many evangelical circles sort of just brushed past and, you know, we're just sort of given this platitude that, well, God is good. So it's okay. And I think that that forces us to disengage from our heart, mind, and soul, and also from people. Because if we're, you know, when we read the Bible, if we're disengaging ourselves, and if we're just sort of brushing it off as, oh, well, it's fine, then we'll do that when we encounter people in our midst, right? Or when we encounter stories of of folks in our midst, or what's happening across the globe with war, and, you know, all these sort of things. And so, yeah, that's sort of why I've been thinking about uh, that quote that I wrote. What do you think we are supposed to do with those troubling passages. Yeah, I want to hear from your theology mind. What is the Bible? How do you describe it to somebody? What do you say to somebody who says, hey, I'm reading these Old Testament passages and I'm not interested in that type of God? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think, you know, there's a lot of dissecting and a lot of um, conversations that need to happen surrounding these questions. But I would say just in a general sense, um, the Bible is a book of stories of the people of God trying to make sense of their humanity, trying to make sense of their oppression, trying to make sense of their relationship with divinity, with God, right? And so I think that when we read these troubling stories, I mean, they're stories of, and, and I actually write about this a little bit in Abuelita Faith in my first book, of they're just stories of people trying to survive and trying to, like I said, make sense of their reality and how that intersects with a God who's saying, hey, I'm with you and we're, you know, we're doing this together. And they're questioning that because sometimes their reality doesn't feel that way, right? And they're saying, God, where are you? And you said this, but this is not happening. And, and so I think that, you know, when we read these stories, what I love is that a lot of times they're so relatable because we do see a lot of pain and a lot of injustice in the world. And so when we see the people of God going through this, it's a way of saying, hey, you know, God never left them and God will never leave 
those of us in our midst going through this, you know, going through difficult times, going through, you know, experiencing oppression and injustice. But I think that when we come across these stories, to not turn away, to not, you know, act as if, you know, oh, well, the ending turns out fine. So it's okay. Well, Jesus, so it's fine. Um, Because these are real experiences that people really experienced, right? And real pain and real suffering. And so Mm -hmm. I think that um, we should sit and linger in these stories and linger in that tension. And I I have a a devotion called, you know, lingering in the tension, you know, and I kind of go back to the story of Jesus and with, with the woman accused of adultery and how he just sort of lingered there with her, right? Like when they accused her of this and and he said, you know, throw the first stone and all of that, he just kind of took his time and he lingered and he he sat there with her in the discomfort. Same thing with um, Lazarus's sister, you know, when Lazarus dies and he shows up, he cries with them. I mean, he just sits there and mourns with them for days knowing that Lazarus would be resurrected, right? Like knowing he mm-hmm. was going to perform this miracle, he still sat and he cried with them and he still was there present in the moment. And I think that that is a lesson for us. And in when we read these stories, right, to sit in that tension, to let it be uncomfortable, to not like it. I do not like the injustices that are happening here. God, why? Um, and allow that to move us so that when we see injustice in our, among us, in our communities, in our, you know, obviously we live in a globalized world. So we see it on social. I mean, we see it everywhere. We can mm-hmm. feel that discomfort and it can move us to action. And so I think that, um, you know, the first step, right, there's so much, so many things that we can do, but the first step is just lingering in that tension and being honest, allowing our humanity to move us and say, I don't like this God. I don't like these stories. They make me feel uncomfortable. And I don't want to push past that discomfort for the sake of my humanity, right? What do you think it is? And I want to get to, I'm going to read some quotes actually actually from Sacred Belonging, because friend listening, I want you to know it is so good. I really want you to get this devotional. It is so good. But Kat, something that you'll see in the devotional, and also I think even as you've already talked, what is it about you that allows you to do this? Like, what is it about you that allows you to not be uncomfortable in the tension? How did you learn that? And how would you recommend somebody listening right now who says, well, I, I'm afraid that if I open that door, I'm going to doubt or I'm not going to believe God is good. Like, how do we challenge ourselves to do this in the way that you do it and stay with the Lord? Well, um, a few things. First, I, I will say that so much of my faith and so much of my understanding of God was shaped in um, my community. And my community is a Cuban-American community. And it's a community shaped by exile and shaped by survival. And so in my first book, Abuelita Faith, I talk about how, you know, my grandmother's story is a story of, of survival, but it's not just her story. I mean, if we read so many of the stories in the Bible, and I focus primarily on women in Abuelita Faith, but so many of these stories are stories of survival, right? Um, I, I always say, you know, I kind of laugh about this, but we tend to over-spiritualize many of the stories in the mm-hmm. Bible and with reason, and that's fine, we can. But a lot of these stories are stories of women like trying to eat, right? Mm. Like trying to um, find ways to provide for their own futures so that they're not left destitute. So they're not left without husbands or, you know, because that was maybe a death sentence or that Mm. was just a life a life that was very hard, right? Full of hardships if you were a woman in the first century or before that was left without a husband, right? And so 
Um, I say all that to say that, you know, a lot of these stories are shaped by struggle and survival. And a lot of the faith that I um, was formed and shaped in uh, is a faith that is formed in struggle Mm. and survival, right? And I think that that, you know, for all of us, I think that if we are allowed to in, or if we invite the divine, if we invite God in that struggle and survival, we don't have to disconnect um, our lived experiences from what we believe, from what we believe about God. And I think that that is what's so important is that, you know, lived experiences are where so much of our faith is formed. And by lived experiences, I mean in that struggle, in that doubt, mm. in that questioning in that, you know, because many of us are going to go through periods in our lives where, you know, we are going to experience these things, these very real things. And if we feel shame or if we feel guilt about that, um, well, then all that does is push God away, right? All that does is push or further ourselves from, you know, um, from God. And so I think that inviting all of who we are into our, our relationship with God, and that includes the doubt, I think that that'll give us a more honest faith and it'll make us more vulnerable people. And I think that that's something that we see um, so much in a faith that we want to emulate, right? Vulnerability and honesty. Mm. And um, these are all the things we see in Jesus, right? And so anyways, I say that to say that, yeah, when you asked you know, me, how, how do I, I think it's just allowing myself to be human. And I think that's my favorite thing about Jesus is that Jesus, you know, was so incredibly human, right? We love to say, well, he was God. Yes, he was God. I'm not questioning that. But he was also very, very human. And again, going back to the story of Lazarus, he just sat there and he cried. Why? Because that was the most honest the most vulnerable, Mm. the most human response, the realist response that you can have to death, to the reality of death, to Lazarus's death. You know, there wasn't a platitude. There wasn't looking for a silver lining. There wasn't, and no, it was just, you know, death is terrible and it's hard. And I'm going to sit here and feel this with Mm. you. And I think that is the most human response, you know, Jesus could have had. I also write about in Sacred Belonging about, you know, the resurrection story, the Easter story, I love that Jesus asks a series of questions, you know, as he meets with folks, you know, after he resurrects and he he's in contact with the disciples and, and with Mary and, and they, at this point, they don't really know who he is. And, you know, and what he does every time that he meets them he, is he asks them just a real human question, right? Like, why are you crying? Hmm. Or who are you looking for? Touch my scars. I mean, these are embodied real human questions. You know, he doesn't say stop crying or, you know, no, he invites folks to share their humanity with him. And so I just love that um, there's so much humanness in the life and story of Jesus, in the life and story of so many folks in the Bible. And I think that that is an invitation for us to be fully human and all of all of that you know everything that entails right um so yeah i think that's how i can still stay connected and still believe because of my doubt right mm. i um i still feel an even deeper connection with mm. the divine um because it's human right i want to read an excerpt from your latest devotional sacred belonging and i need people to understand if they don't already why your work is so rich. So I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to have you respond to it. You say this, in Matthew's gospel, the story goes that when Jesus was dying, the earth went dark for three hours. At the moment he cried out and took his last breath, the land shook and the rocks split. 
Some interpreters might say this speaks to the supremacy of Jesus over creation, and maybe that's true, particularly when read through a Western lens of hierarchy. But perhaps it's more than that. In Colossians, Paul says that in Jesus, all things are held together. So would it be far-fetched to think that the cosmos would tumble into a kind of chaos at his death? I like to imagine that the earth was responding to her relationship to Jesus in a divine connection of sorts. Wow. Can you respond to that? (laughs) Yeah. And so... Um, In the first section of Sacred Belonging, I focus primarily on creation, and I really want folks to understand um, just our interrelatedness with the natural world. You know, I think so much of how we have taken care of the planet or how, Mm. how we have viewed the planet has been through a lens of domination and hierarchy. And a lot of interpreters and commentators have um, argued, and I agree, that it's just it's because of or partly because of just a terrible way of interpreting Genesis 1 when it talks about having dominion, right? Um, folks interpret that as domination or folks interpret that as, yeah, this, this view of hierarchy that um, is how we really understand and live our day-to-day life um, because of things like empire and colonialism. We cannot fathom a world without hierarchy, right? I mean, even our relationship, um, I think, you know, with divinity, we there's it's very much, you know, God is up here. And and again, I'm not saying that God is not, you know, far greater right. than I'm just saying that, you know, um, I think there's something about seeing the world and how we all relate to one another as interconnected, mm. as opposed to, you know, we rule over, you know. And so anyways, I wrote that, uh, well, right before that, I talk about how so much of, of the natural world is related to each other in, in such ways that, you know, when one thing is eliminated in, you know, biology, it really causes this chain reaction mm. and affects so many things around us, right? And there's this one, you know, example of wolves in Yellowstone, right? When wolves in Yellowstone were eliminated because ranchers were afraid of the wolves taking their livestock and whatever, that literally caused a chain reaction that affected, I mean, the entire, like, area like Yellowstone was just completely decimated because wolves like several thousand wolves were removed right I mean rivers changed course and all these things happened because wolves were eliminated and so I'm I'm imagining if we're all so interconnected in this way I mean if wolves you know depend on the course of rivers flowing which is just so incredible and beautiful then how much more is that interconnection with God and how much more is that interconnection with Jesus who was a you know living person in this world and and how all of these things flow in and through one another and so i was kind of wondering you know cuz when i was doing that research on yellowstone and then I started thinking about Jesus and, oh, wait a minute, when Jesus died, there was like an yeah. actual, like nature responded. Yeah. Like there was, you know, things happened and moved. And and I thought, what if it's a similar sort of connection, a similar interrelatedness that we see in the natural world with, you know, and I, I keep saying wolves, but there's so many other examples, right? right? Um but with wolves and, you know, rivers. And I, I think, well, what if it's similar in that, when Jesus died, right? Like the the creator and how it talks about in Colossians, right? Sustainer and how all things are connected through Jesus. When he died, 
it literally mm. caused the natural world to respond, right? And I, I love that as a picture of the interconnectedness of all beings, you know. Um, I love that that notion of of how we are all made of stars. And I remember, you know, how, how there's like this, you know, it's a cute quote of like, you are stardust. And I remember I used to think like, oh, that's so, you know, sweet and cute and whatever. But no, actually, you know, the elements that are in the human body are the same elements that we can find in stars that have gone supernova. Mm. And I don't think that's any, I mean, it sounds all woo-woo and weird, but really it's not. <laughs> all that means is that we literally are just all connected mm. to every element in the natural world, which is such a beautiful thing. And if you think about God as creator, I mean, that makes perfect sense, right? right. It makes perfect sense. And I think it gives us such a gorgeous picture of um, God as creator, of what happened, you know, in Genesis, in the Genesis story. I think it really um, gives us a beautiful, broader picture of um, really who God is and who we are as those made in God's image. So I want to say, this is something that you wrote. You say in your book, while dominion has long been understood as domination, a more accurate definition is something akin to exercising skilled mastery. What do you think? So as we're talking about Genesis right now, what would you say, what do you gather as a theologian about what the role is of man and the imagery given of skilled mastery over a garden. Yeah. So I actually moved um, my family and I to a farm um, back in March. And my, my journey has been to reconnect more with the land and the natural world. And that has been such a beautiful thing for my faith. And I've seen my faith flourish. And so, you know, my family and I decided to make that move. You know, we moved outside of the city and we bought five acres. And so we're doing, you know, the, the whole the whole thing. And one of the things that I've um, just really been able to understand fully is this idea of mutuality when it comes to the earth and, you know, us and human beings. You know, we give to the earth and we love the earth and she loves us back, right? The mm -hmm. earth loves us back. And I see this in how, you know, we need the natural world for our most basic functions to breathe, to eat, you know, yeah. we cannot live without um, God's creation. I mean, we literally cannot function um, without a healthy planet. I mean, we can't like we need oxygen and we right. need water and we need, you know, all of these sorts of things. And so I see this as this beautiful relation of mutuality and care. You know, we care for her and she cares for us. And so mm. um, when I think of this idea of dominion, you know, there's no mutuality in dominion, right? Mm. There's no, there's no mutual love and mutual care in dominion, right? There's just extraction. And I, you know, I've mentioned this, this role of hierarchy. There's, I take from you and you, you know, you live to serve me or, you know, like even how we call the natural world a resource, right? It is a resource for consumption, for extraction. And so, um, I don't see that in, you know, the, the original plan. I don't see that in Genesis. I don't see a relationship of extraction. I mm. see a relationship of mutuality and care. You know, even when um, Adam and Eve, you know, in the story, how they, they sinned and then they noticed they were naked. And then, you know, even in that, the natural world provided for them in covering, you know, leaves to cover them up. And, you know, I just see this, this symbiotic relationship mm. and how, you know, talk about it, you know, before the fall, 
Adam and Eve worked the land, but it wasn't a, a toil, right? It was, again, it was a beautiful relationship of, and I see this even now, you know, as I take care of my chickens and I, you know, I, I feed and I care for my chickens. And when they get sick, I bring them inside and I do all the dirty work that, you know, feels mm. gross and dirty in the moment. But then they give me eggs and, and I eat from their eggs. And, they, you know, and it's this beautiful, um, sweet relationship where I feel the natural world loving me back. And so um, this idea of skilled mastery, you know, when you are, you know, really engaged in a hobby or something that you love, something that you um, put a lot of time and effort and energy in, you begin to really receive and love, you know, this craft, this this art that you are putting in so much time and energy and, and attention and love and care into. And I see the same thing um, in how we should be treating the natural world. And I think so much of our faith, you know, we've disconnected because a lot of, you know, Western evangelical faith is so disembodied. So much of our faith just lives in our minds mm. and in right belief and in right thinking mm. about God. And so we can justify, you know, not taking care or not having a holistic, robust faith that includes our, you know, the way that we care for God's creation, the way that we care. And I think in that, even for our neighbor, I think that so much of it is in our minds mm. that we disconnect our bodies and, and look where we're at, you know, as a, as a planet. So, yeah. This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19, and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community. You partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And when you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org slash viraljesus today. This actually is the perfect segue because something else you write that I wanted to ask you about is you say this, I used to be really sure about a lot of things. My faith depended on certainty that I had all the right answers to all the big questions. You say that now you have eight years of theological training, have learned biblical languages, have read thousands of pages and written more than a hundred academic papers. What type of things do you feel less certain of today theologically? And is there anything you still feel extremely certain of? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny when I graduated um, with both of my masters from seminary, I literally was like, you know, I feel like I know less about God, you know, which is even funny. Yeah. I, I always laugh about this idea of like a master in theology, this, even that word, a master, can you really master mm. God? Right. Um, and mm. you know, I, I argue that this is such a, such a colonial thing. I mean, such a, you know, colonized sort of language that we use, but anyway, um, yeah, I, I feel so much more confidence in my uncertainty because I don't have to know all the right 
things in order to know that I'm held and loved by God. And I think that that is something that, you know, it's just something that something I've realized is that so much of the history of our faith is rooted in guilt and rooted in fear. And it goes back to these notions of power. And it goes back to these notions, you know, when, you know, you look at history, when church and state were married together and you have, you know, all of these sort of, it's just got so messy. And I think that it became so much about having the right beliefs and knowing the right things. And, you know, and I think that there are things that we should be certain of, right? Just be certain of God and who God is. I think that that is important. Certain of Jesus and who Jesus is. Certain of, you know, the role that that Jesus plays in history in our lives. A hundred percent, right? But there's so much that we don't know. And I think that that is such a liberating thing. You know, I mean, even you read the book of Job and, you know, God tells Job, did you give understanding to the rooster? Like he's literally asking him, like, what do you know? You know, and I love that he uses, I have a devotion on this and sacred belonging, but he's literally like questioning him. Like, what do you know, Job? Like, you know, nothing, you know, Um, (laughs) all you know is, is me, is this, you know, the things that I've promised you. And that's all you need to know, you know? And I think that that is something that, um, I, you know, I've realized the more that I study about God, the more I realize, you know, there's, there's so little that we actually do know. And I, it's, it's such a mirror of the natural world. I look at, you know, the, the planet, the universe, and humans just know so little about, you know, all of God's creation. Um, yes. And it's kind of the same thing about God, right? Like we know so little about all of the expansive things, not only that God has created, but that God has done across the, I mean, we have a Bible, right? But it's even so limited, right? It's a story about one group of people, you know, um, and how God has interacted with one group of people. And obviously it's very important, you know, I'm not saying it's not, but yeah. And I think that I just feel so much freedom in this idea that God is so much more than I could ever fathom. And that is beautiful. And I want God to be that big because if God wasn't, and if I knew all there was to know about God, then man, I would, you know, I would stop paying attention. I would stop, you know, seeking out God, um, God's face. You know, I talk about this in the story of Moses, you know, God tells Moses, you know, go, go to my people, whatever. And, and Moses says, well, how will I know that you're with me? And, you know, God says, my presence will be with you. And Moses says, well, you know, show me your glory. Like I need to know I need, you know, and I, I think that's such a perfect, you know, vision or a perfect example of like, so much of evangelicalism. Like, I know I need to know, give me all yeah. of the things I need, you know, and God's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll show you. And God shows up his back, <laughs> you know, like yeah. obviously, you know, we, we know that that's like to preserve Moses's life because he can't see his face. But I just think it's so incredible that God's like, okay, yeah, I'll show you, but I'll just show you like, really, like you don't really see much when you see someone's back. <laughs> You know, so he's like, yeah, 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 this is what I'll show you. But I love that, you know, and and I kind of wonder in sacred belonging, I wonder if God did that to to keep Moses's attention, right? You know, to keep Moses's sort of Moses's, yeah, wonder and Moses's awe in God. Like imagine if Moses would have seen all of God's glory and seen God's face, would he still be interested in following? Would he still be, you know what I mean? Would there still be more that he wanted to know about God? And I, I just love that. You know, God sort of leaves us only knowing a little bit. Um, I love that because, you know, it keeps me always wanting more, always wanting more of the divine, always wanting to know more about, you know, how God speaks and interacts with creation. So, yeah, I think that um, it's such an important thing to be 
comfortable and and knowing that you don't know everything so that you can live the rest of your life just seeking and, and wondering and dreaming about God. This is how I know that the Bible is inspired and divine. I try to read it cover to cover every year. I'm on my 14th time through. I try to read 30 books a year. And mm-hmm. every time, every new book I read from whatever different theologian, I'm like, whoa, never heard this in my life. Never yeah. seen this before. Mm-hmm. Every time I go through scripture, there's verses. I'm like, I've never, for some reason, it's hitting me in a way I've never experienced it before. Right. Right. And it leaves me more exactly. in love with God, more humble before Him. Right. And I, it's allowed me to be more humble in the face of people, I think, in, in my past, yeah. If I felt like somebody was wrong or got something right. wrong, I was right. like, Whoa, you don't yeah. know. You don't know God. And I've been able to be so much more humble the more I learn Yeah, in the face of people who I even disagree with. Right, right. 100%. Yeah. The, this journey that we go on with God and growing is such a beautiful journey. And I would just... Yeah, say to our friend listening, the more you learn, I have so found this to be true, the more you realize you did not know. And so then right. if this new book has showed me this new thing, what happens when I read the next one? I will right. never hit the end. Never, never. Yeah. And I think that that's part of the beauty of, yeah, beauty of following Jesus, the beauty yes. of God, right? It's just, you know, because like I said, if if you were to, you know, if all the things about God were to be downloaded, you know, into your mind, the second you, you know, decided to follow Jesus, I mean, what, what, um, yeah, what beauty, what, um, wonder, what mystery, what joy is in that, you know, you just know all the things and then that's it. Right. <laughs> but no, I think that part of the, you know, even the fun, right. I love this idea. I agree. Right. And I think that that was, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to write Sacred Belonging, because I wanted to think about fun and different and exciting and new ways to relate and understand and experience God that may have been demonized by the dominant culture that may have, you know, for example, God talks so much about wisdom in the moon and the wisdom in the stars and how, you know, God's people were to look to the stars for wisdom or look to the moon for guidance. And I thought, man, you know, that's really been demonized in Western culture. What if I look to the Bible and see what God actually has to say about the moon and the stars? And what if we Mm. began to dream about God's creation in that way, that God could actually speak through God's creation, right? (laughs) That God could Mm. actually offer us wisdom through the things that God has made. Um, What a, you know, new concept, right? And so I just, you know, decided to look at scripture and and look at all the places where the stars and the moon have significance. And, And what does that mean for us? Like, how can we you know, experience God when we look up at the moon and the stars, you know, on any given day or when we learn about their cycles and their movements and, you know, all of these things that we may either have thought are, you know, all woo-woo and weird in other cultures mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. that we may have just ignored or, you know, not thought too much about. So, yeah, and that's that's part of the fun of it, you know. I mean, there's so much about God um, to embrace and learn and know um, when we're not fearful of getting it wrong, yeah. when we're not fearful yeah. of, you know, um, straying too far. You know, I kind of write, I don't even know what that really means to stray too far. But, uh, you know, actually in practicality, I really don't know what that means. I've heard it a bunch. <laughs> um, but, you know, when I actually like, wait, what does it really mean to stray? Anyway, um, yeah. So so I think I think that was part of the fun of just, um, just wanting to experience God in unique and new ways. And I want to say to our friend listening, Kat Armas is the author of Sacred Belonging, but I want to say this. 
you, and I never say these things. I am going to say this about this book. You will experience God in a new way if you buy this book. Sacred Belonging, buy it right now. Kat, our show is called Viral Jesus. What do you think it means to be a Christian when we are online? Oh, yeah. You know, that's this is something that I've just been wrestling with so much in the past few years because um, I was really online and now I've kind of, you know, stepped back a little bit. I've you know. noticed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, it's been, um, I bought the farm. And so a lot of my energy is trying to experience God in really messy and dirty and embodied ways, you know, and I I had a kid and I try not to be on my phone around my, you know, she's still so young around my toddler. And so I haven't been online as much, but um, I have seen all the beautiful ways that the internet has um, pointed me to to theologians, to ideas, to thoughts that I would have never had before. You know, the internet has connected me with people that I never would have connected with before. Yeah. And, and I like to say, you know, people say that the internet, you know, it's not real or your, your online life is not real, uh, but it so much is. And I think that mm. it's just one small part of the bigness of my life and my day. And it's an important one. And so my, um, you know, following Jesus in, in the day of the, of the internet, I try and make sure that it's all things that are going to um, point me toward flourishing and wholeness and goodness and making sure that it's not um, overshadowing just the embodied ways that I connect with God. It's only supplementing those ways, right? Mm. And so when I spend time on my farm and when I spend time with my kid, you know, and when I feel full in experiencing God in embodied ways, you know, then I can, you know, see how I experience God, you know, in ways that are technological. And again, by connecting with ideas that I would have never connected with, or even, you know, um, allowing myself to feel the discomfort of, the injustices that are happening across the globe that I wouldn't know otherwise um, Mm. and ways that I might be able to um, educate myself and how that might change even more the way that I live. And so, yeah, I am so grateful for um, the ways that we can connect um, with God and others um, through the internet. Kat Armas is the author of Sacred Belonging. You can get this book wherever books are sold. Kat, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So what can we learn from my conversation with Kat Armas? Number one, Kat says that there are passages in scripture that should cause us to stop and to wonder. There may even be passages that should make us think to ourselves, I don't like this. That is part of what wrestling with the scriptures and with the Bible and and being a real human being, a real engaged human being with the scriptures actually looks like. We are not just fake plastic Christians. We have to be real people who engage with this real inspired word of God. Number two, Kat says we should sit and linger in the tension of scripture. Kat talks about it in her devotional. It is okay to linger in discomfort. It's okay. It's okay to linger in the pain or to linger in mourning. Don't resist the tension that is often presented to us in the Bible. We can allow that tension to actually be what moves us toward injustice in this world rather than just sit back and pretend it doesn't exist. Number three, I absolutely love this. I have not stopped thinking about it since Kat said it. What if Adam and Eve weren't just asked to rule the earth, 
But as Kat prefers the translation, to develop skilled mastery over it. How does that framework change how Christians should engage with the land and with the natural world? This idea that Kat talks about of mutuality is one that she says all Christians should strive for. Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Next week starts a new pod class. It's called Listening to Black Creators. I'm super excited about it. I open it by sitting down with K.A. Ellis. And I don't want to give too much away. But if you are a single woman or if you deeply care, which I hope you do, about single women, you will make sure to tune in next week. It is going to change how you are reading some of your scripture. That's all I'm going to say. K.A. Ellis, she is fantastic. We're starting a new series, Listening to Black Creators. I'll see you next week for another conversation where a viral Jesus guest talks and you and I listen so we can learn. I love growing with you on Viral Jesus. Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip.